Welcome to the Park Road Talk Back Podcast. Today's podcast is a conversation with Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor at Park Road Baptist Church with Russ Dean. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications for Park Road, and this summer our Talk Back Podcast series deals with the summer sermon series entitled The Folly of Conventional Wisdom. During this series, Amy and Russ will use their sermons to call attention to some of the so-called wisdom we routinely hear in our everyday lives, sayings that make their way into our common consciousness, but which may not, in fact, be very wise. As part of this series, Amy has given two sermons recently that we want to talk about today. One was titled, Hard Work Pays Off, Except When It Doesn't, and the other was, A Time to Tell the Truth. Today, we'll spend just a few minutes with Amy discussing her sermons in more detail. So, hello, Amy. It's good to have you back in the Park Road Studios for this podcast. Yeah, it's been a little bit since I've been here, but um, Russ likes to talk about his sermons more than I do, maybe. I don't know. I I need to get back into it. Sorry. (laughs) It's good to have another perspective. So, we're glad that you're here. So, this is a fascinating summer series that the two of you have undertaken, Um, Some of the common sayings which we accept without thinking, things like uh, hard work always pays off or time heals all wounds and everything happens for a reason. And uh, I I guess it's fair to say you take exception to the truth of these words in your sermons, which frankly, uh, you know, they've become almost mantras for our society. But um, you and Russ uh, have a different perspective on them. So I, I was wondering, why do you think it's important to take exception to these kinds of statements? And, and do they really hurt anyone or anything in your experience? I think they really do. And I think people don't mean for them to. I think, you know, people are trying so hard to, first of all, just say something that's right. going to be uplifting. And I think they're trying so hard to make everything okay, because isn't that what we all want? We want everybody to be okay and everything to be okay. And so we're willing to um, throw out these trite-isms. And it really is, I I think it's kind of unfortunate because it really trivializes things that are pretty important and pretty big. And to just write them off so quickly, um, I I think is harming. It was interesting, uh, Russ preached Everything Happens for a Reason last Sunday, and Monday night we had a friend over for dinner, and not somebody in the church and not somebody that's following the sermon series had no idea what we were preaching on. And we're just making chit-chat and telling some story, and and he goes, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. And Russ and Bennett and I looked at each other like, no, no. It doesn't. <laughs> so we had to stop and tell him the story about why he was wrong, and he got a big kick out of it. So, <laughs> In one of the sermons, you recount having to tell your sons the truth, as you described it. You, and, I'll, and I'll quote a little bit from your sermon. We want to tell our children that if they just persevere, push through, put in the work, that success will come or they will be selected for the team or they will get into the college of their dreams. And all the while, we know from experience that that is simply not true. I think we've told ourselves this lie for so long that we've actually believed it ourselves. But I'm here to tell you today, hard work does not always pay off. So, you know, that really just runs completely counter to basically the way our society 
talks to us, speaks to us, uh, the kinds of lessons that we learn as children. I'm wondering, as a mother of two sons, how do you find the balance between the aspiration of a statement like hard work always pays off and a skeptical view of the world that says hard work is no guarantee of success? Where, where do you find that balance? It was interesting. I try not to use too much of their personal stories. Um, I mean, I reference our children a lot and certainly did when they were younger, but also didn't want to tell too much of their story. But, you know, even when I was writing that paragraph, I was honestly thinking about um, their baseball career through high school and college and um, test scores and SAT and ACT scores and applying to colleges and our older son trying to get into med school and studying so hard. And the truth of it is you can work so hard. And sometimes all that hard work is not going to help you achieve what you're setting out to achieve. And they're going to be, I just, I could have named a thousand scenarios of raising children where you're trying to teach them to work hard, but also for them to realize that doesn't mean you're going to get what you want. Um, and and sometimes we were, uh, we were even telling this story the other night about our older son was a baseball player and a coach said of him many years ago, he was probably 16 or so, and, um, you know, he was a good baseball player, but he didn't have all the natural talent. And one of his coaches was saying, you know, if, Jackson had so-and-so's talent, and so-and-so had Jackson's work ethic. Then you'd have a baseball player. <laughs> it's like, why can't those two things ever come together? And I, I just remember sometimes feeling sorry for for our boys, watching them work so hard, and yet then there were people that felt like, oh, if they want it, they'll achieve it, and and they didn't even account for the hard work that they put in. I mean, Sometimes hard work does pay off. It's just you're setting your children up for a lot of disappointment if you teach them hard. Now, hard work will pay off. Well, maybe you have to ask what's the payoff. Exactly. Well, you go on in this sermon to say hard work does not always pay off, and then immediately say work hard anyway. So so let me be the devil's advocate for a moment. So if you say to me, uh, you can work all day long, but there's no guarantee that you're going to get anything from it. What, where's the motivation or, or, or why, why should I work hard if, if I'm not guaranteed a, a payoff of some sort? I think that's kind of the whole point of Ecclesiastes, um, not around hard work, but around, you know, life is life. And it, it's hard and it's difficult. And the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is very cynical about life and reward and payoff and um, difficulties and struggles. And, you know, basically it's <laughs> life stinks and then you die. So you might as well enjoy it. I mean, that's kind of his message. Um, and I think there's something there. I think there's something to learn from that when we can kind of see that as not a cynical approach, but that life is meant to be lived in joy and merriment, even in all of its difficulties, even in all of its trials and tribulations, that there is something to 
living life to the fullest and Mm -hmm. around hard work pays off. I would say, you know, when you've worked hard, even if you don't make the team or get the job or if success in the way you're working hard toward does not come, there is some satisfaction in the work itself and in the effort itself. And you go to sleep every night knowing you've done your best. I can, I can remember a simple story of our younger son Bennett was on the baseball team and he really did work hard and, and it did not pay off for him. And I remember one day him talking about, you know, the guys that, you know, you're lying on the field doing planks or whatever. And the players, there's some players that are watching the coach. And when the coach turns his back and is looking in another direction, they fall to the ground and get right back up. And the coach never knows it. And that guy still gets to play every game. And But I remember saying, yeah, but you get to go to bed at night knowing you didn't drop your plank. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the coach, you, you know, there's some level of self-respect and honesty in that, that, um, so no, your hard work of holding the plank didn't give you the starting position, but it taught him something about life and about much bigger things than baseball will come his way. And so I hope that is kind of what they heard in, right. In the way we raise them, and I, I've never really put that together with the writer of Ecclesiastes until being forced to <laughs> put all these together. But I do think that is some of Ecclesiastes is just kind of the realities of life, that everything's yeah. not pretty. It's not a prosperity gospel. Live life to the fullest anyway. Right. You you quote in this sermon uh, Frederick Buechner's words, finding the voice of God rather than the voice of society. Is that, is that what you're alluding to by um, being content with what you're able to do and not measuring yourself against some sort of uh, societal standard? Sure, yeah. And Beekner does such a great job with bringing that to, um, I think it's a way of normalizing a spiritual concept that, you're not just, you're trying to connect in every way. Church isn't something you just do on Sunday and think about on Sunday, but how do you connect all of these things so that you're connecting to this sense of holy other or mystery or sacred space that is the calling to you that that reaches beyond cultural expectations and norms? And I think he's, he's Beatner is always great at giving words to um, normalize and ritualize mundane everydayness mm-hmm. and make it something so that a, a, a baseball example is, is more than just a sports analogy, but really could be used for something bigger and greater in, in your spiritual journey as well. So there was a, a second sermon that you did um, where you tackled the conventional wisdom of time heals all wounds. Why do you think those are such common words of condolence uh, and yet so potentially harmful for people who are, are feeling significant pain? It's hard to know which of these is the biggest lie, but that's one of them. I mean, time does not heal all wounds. It just doesn't. And 
I found an article, I shared some information from it about in ways in which time actually makes it worse for some people in some situations. And mm-hmm. I, I think we just have an insatiable desire for things to be okay in a world where things are not okay. Mm-hmm. And we just don't give space um, especially in religious communities, we want quick answers and easy fixes and trite sayings that save God or bl- uh, you know take so that God doesn't have to take any blame. Um, I, I just think we have a, a real oh a real bent toward happy, and I love being happy. I mean, nobody loves to laugh more than I do, but it we too quickly dismiss the difficulties of life mm-hmm. and time just doesn't heal all wounds it it sometimes can help and that's a real gift when it does um but it just is not true that time heals all wounds all right you call it the biggest lie ever told in this sermon yeah um, but I, <laughs> there, there are some others but you also reference the celebration of Juneteenth and you say yeah. how how are we going to celebrate Juneteenth as I wonder what's the connection between time heals all wounds and the celebration around Juneteenth in your mind well it was interesting you know that was the weekend of Juneteenth and right. so leading up to it social media was quite a buzz with lots of opinions around what Juneteenth is and what it is not. And if if you read through any of all of that on social media from every side, um, time has not healed the wound of slavery. Right. And it has not healed the wound of emancipation being hidden from people who had been freed. And it was such a perfect example of how time does not heal all wounds. And there are a lot of people that are just more interested in, um, well, let's just make this a celebration because isn't it great how far we come? We don't own people anymore. <laughs> well, could could we just allow for a minute that maybe everybody hadn't hadn't fully healed from that? And so it was just such a blatant example of how time does not heal all wounds. Um, right. Yeah. That I, I, go ahead. I was just going to say that's, I think it's for those of us who have not suffered that discomfort or pain, we just want to move on or, or a lot of us mm-hmm. want to move on. Let's say, just like you say, let's, let's celebrate mm-hmm. and kind of gloss over the pain that a lot of people felt in the past and, and continue to feel today. Well, and yes, we can celebrate how far we've come. And you also have to recognize we are not there. So it's just not a complete celebration until we're, until we fully kind of arrived at what freedom and equality looks like for all people. Well, as long as everybody's not fully free, how can it be just a joyous celebration? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the people that want to rush too quickly um, into that sense of, you know, just give it time and it'll make all things better. And would you hurry up with the time? <laughs> um, people just are not very good at um, allowing people to be in pain. Right. And we just so quickly want to, make things better, that we just are not very good at acknowledging hardship and difficulty and pain and trauma and the effect that that has for 
on our bodies and on our spirits for generations. Exactly. Well, you you included in this sermon a, a list from a psychologist of seven truths, as he described he or she described it about pain. Um, did any of those on that list particularly resonate with you, or or? Um, well, the very first one was sometimes things actually get worse before they get better. And that is certainly the truth. <laughs> I, I think about people, um, I think time heals all wounds is often connected to grief. But I thought about the people that have gone through loss of relationship through divorce. Mm-hmm. And I, I've heard people say, you know, when someone dies, you don't have to continue to see them um, or you don't get to continue to see them in a divorce. The person's still living often right there among you and around you. And the pain just gets more and more difficult. And it, you know, it's, it's, there's so many things that it, it really does get worse in time. Um, and, and I think I referenced something in the sermon about, um, you know, the, in grief, as time moves on, you you begin to forget some, the sound of somebody's voice or mm-hmm. the even their facial expressions, and you forget their stories and how they told them. And and well, that's painful to think that as time slips away, you would forget some things that are so important. Um, so, and in that way, I think it sometimes does get worse before it gets better. Um, and I, I thought the other, uh, I think it was the third thing, time goes really, really slowly when you're hurting. Right. And so to say time heals all wounds, you know, for the person that has been wounded, it's like time stops and it's just a shock to your system that people are still going to the grocery store. People, you know, you, yeah. you've you got to, you know, you're a month away from having gone to the funeral of your loved one and you look at the news and see, oh, wow, people have still been living their lives and my life stopped. Exactly. In those ways, you know, time means nothing because you hear people talk about, oh, it's been a year since so-and-so died and they will say, in some ways it seems like forever ago, I almost can't remember them. And in other ways, it seems like it was just yesterday. Mm-hmm. Time kind of becomes meaningless in woundedness. Yeah. You know, the, the item on that list that kind of resonated with me was, uh, and I think this is, covers the entire spectrum of possibilities, is nobody can tell you what your unique experience of mm-hmm. loss will be like. And I think that that really struck me as something I really need to be aware of when mm-hmm. I'm around people who have, have some sort of pain in their lives. Um, I just, I just, there's no way I can put myself completely in their shoes and and know what will work and what won't work in terms of condolence mm-hmm. for them. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. And my experience is wholly mine and nobody else's and, and yours is completely yours. And I can't, I can try to listen to it, but I can't, uh, prescribe for you how it's going to be. You have to live through your own time. Right. And your role as a pastoral counselor at times, uh, very often, I would imagine, you must see that. You must see a lot of different reactions mm-hmm. to um, 
to grief and to loss and 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 must develop a skill set of some sort to recognize what's going on and, and how to to help people yeah and I feel like uh, one thing that is helpful is to ask people what is it that you are needing what is it that you are feeling where are you in the journey this is a season what what What's your season like right now? Asking them to be your teacher um, if if they are willing to open themselves up to that and explore kind of it, it's helpful if you journal and then go back and read the journal, you know, because I can I can go back and do that. I'm not a big, big journaler, but when I have done that and gone back and read it, it's been I have forgotten. Oh, wow. I really was angry then. What? I've forgotten that. <laughs> I was really in denial then wasn't I had forgotten that and asking them to teach you about their journey, not the journey. I more and more do this these days. If I'm visiting someone in the hospital or someone going through a difficult thing, I don't just, can I have a prayer with you? Um, I'll ask them, tell me what it is you're praying for. Hmm. What is it that you are needing? And that, that tells you a lot about where people are. If, if they're willing to engage you on that level. And, and I have actually even started um, not then offering a prayer, but trying to listen to the whole conversation at the end, just say, I'm holding you close with, and try to repeat some of their words back to them. And that is the prayer. I don't yes. have to have this other moment of, okay, now let's stop. Let us pray. Bow your head. Normalizing that kind of conversation with people hopefully is a way to help them make it through that season of wherever their woundedness is taking them. Right. I also loved uh, in this room what you said about the only two emotions we have in our survival kit when times are hard. Can you tell us about those emotions and how they get us through? Yeah, it's only laughing and crying. I mean, that's (laughs) it. There is nothing else. I mean, and sometimes they're you do one until the other comes and then you reverse them and, you know, you cry until you laugh and you laugh until you cry. And, um, you know, I've even, I feel like I've been through one of the hardest stretches of my life with recent cancer diagnosis and surgeries. And, um, and I very clearly said to people, the only way I'm surviving is funny memes. And, you know, one church member probably every day for, I'm going to say the whole six weeks I was out of work, she sent me one funny meme a day. (laughs) And, you know, I probably have never cried as much as I cried in those six weeks of recovery. And I laughed every day. I mean, you, you, you just have to do it. It's the only way to, to make it. I remember my grandmother died when I was in my sophomore year of college and I went, you know, the family was called in and she was the real matriarch of the family. And we went to my aunt's house and I have this vivid memory. My aunt had this big round kitchen table with a lazy Susan in the middle. I just loved that. and thought that was so cool. And so I was, I look back on it when I can kind of get, see it from the viewpoint of a file on the wall in that room that the night that my grandmother died, we all gathered there. There were probably 40 or 50 of her children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren there. And um, I can picture the 
her children, my dad and their spouses sitting around that round table. And then like in concentric circles out from that table were the grandchildren and until it got younger and younger. And, and we just sat there. I feel like that elder generation taught me about grief because they started telling stories mm-hmm. about my grandmother and they would tell it. My aunt who cried at the drop of a hat, you know, she couldn't tell it through crying, but it was always a funny story. And so you'd have these great memories and you, you just watch this group of adults sitting there literally laughing and brokenhearted at the same time. And I think we really have a tendency to not allow for the tears and perhaps have too much frivolity and silliness. On the other hand, there are people that have lost their capacity for joy because the burden has just been so heavy. And so I, I say at every funeral to the family, if I don't say it publicly, I say it to the family, I hope you find the right balance of tears and laughter to help you get through this. Well, that's, uh, you know, that's something that I would hope that we all have at the end, uh, that there, there will be people who remember us and, and are able to laugh and to cry. Uh, yeah, I like point. to picture that, well, first of all, I plan to live to be 100, but this <laughs> past year is really making me question whether I'm going to get there or not. But man, I still plan to live to be 100, and I nothing would please me more than to picture somebody's round kitchen table with a lazy Susan and the concentric circles of people in my life that are sitting there absolutely brokenhearted and telling the funniest stories ever. I mean, what more could you want for at the end of your life? Exactly. May it be so. Amen. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Amy, thank you for sharing your time and your thoughts with us today. It's always a great conversation and we really appreciate your insight. Thanks. It's fun to go back and uh, reread some sermons and see, ooh, did I mean that? Yeah, I meant it. And for these two, I meant it. I'll stick with it. All right. There it is. A 100% guarantee on two yeah. sermons. <laughs> All right. We invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family. They can always find it on the Park Road website under the Resources tab, where you can listen and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, or tune in. That's it for this week. From all of us at Park Road Baptist Church, thank you for listening today. Grace and peace to you.